So here's a, a question for you today. Have you ever said the words, please show of hands if you have, have you ever said the words, I can do it myself? <laughs> All right, a few of you don't have hands up. Um, uh, I'm just going to assume that you didn't feel like putting your hand up because all of us went through a three or four year old stage, right? Where at some point we asserted our independence and said some version of those words. What about, uh, what about this though? Who, has, who, who of you have said at some point in your life or maybe thought at some point in your life, if, if we just had more money, if I just had a better job, if we just get through to that next next plateau in life, then, then we'll be happy and life will be better. Anybody, anybody said that or thought that? One more, have you ever said or thought something like this? If God cared about me, God would fix this. Anybody ever said something like that in your life? I, I hope you've had a, a, a moment as we've asked these questions to look around and realize you're not alone. Right? If you've said or thought any of these things, you're not alone. These are human thoughts. They're part of, our, part of our humanity. They're very, very human things to say and to think. And today, we're going to look at how the Bible, and particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, speaks to the times in our lives when, when we're tempted to say, say such things. Would you pray with me? God, help me to just get out of the way today so that your word can speak to all of us gathered. May your spirit move. May, may hearts be opened. May we come, all of us, may we, we just come to a deeper understanding of your love for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. While I was serving in Indianapolis in youth ministry, one of our annual events was a parents' night out. I don't know if everybody knows the concept of parents' night out, but the youth of the, of the church would offer to uh, babysit, essentially for all the elementary, preschool, even babies we did, um, so that the parents could go out and have dinner or go shopping or, or do things together. It was usually about, about three hours. And uh, our youth hosted this event every year. It was a, it was a big deal, and uh, it, was, it was a real blessing to our families. Uh, I'm just going to be honest, though, as a, as a youth leader, this was not my favorite event of the year. Because, right, you're already responsible for all of these teenagers, and now you're adding like 40, 50, 60 kids into the mix at the church where I was serving. So now I'm responsible for all these teenagers and all these kids. And some of these teenagers, can, can I just be honest, are not great babysitters. <laughs> right? For the most part, all went well. Even in the, in the year I'm about to talk about, things generally went well. But I remember one, one night in particular we were short on adults, like not so short that we couldn't manage it, but, but short enough that every adult had to be in a room all the time. And we had like all of these two and three-year-olds. I, I forget, we had like two or three classes full of two and three-year-olds, um, kind of that like potty training age. And I was in one of those rooms when this little guy looked, looked around the room and was like, I have to go potty. And the teenagers and I played this game. I don't know if you've ever played it. It's the game where you just, y'all look at each other, like, who's going to take this? 
Who's going to break first and say they'll do it? Because nobody's sure that they want to get into this. Well, so this, this little guy says a second time, he's like, I got to go potty. And I, being the adult in the room, know that when a toddler says he's got to go, like, it needs to be now. So I broke. And so I take the little guy into the bathroom. And, uh, and I'm like getting ready to help him. And he looks up at me and he goes, I can do it myself. Okay. So, uh, so sure enough, he, he uh, you know, pulls his little pull-ups down and steps up to the stool. And it was, he just had started. And in that moment, I don't know if they were playing a game. I don't remember. Something went on. And there was laughter and hollering. And the little guy just, without, without a break, goes... And I grabbed his shoulders, you know, if you've a parent, you've, you've done this move. You grabbed his shoulders, and I turned him back in the right direction. And, uh, and no sooner had I gotten him back and, and kind of let go of his shoulders, than there was another roar, and he went the other way. <laughs> and at this point, he's finished. And, and at this point, he has managed to pee on the walls on both sides, on the floor, and on me, but not on himself. And, and he, he has a sense that he missed because he looks down and steps like over the puddle that is formed there and goes out to wash his hands. And while he's washing his hands, he says so proudly, see, I could do it all by myself. <laughs> to which I thought, yeah, I guess. At the heart of this story, at the heart of this story is, right, is this desire that we have, this message that the world gives that we should be able to do it by ourselves. We should be able to go it alone. We can do it. And in some ways, that's a natural part of the human process. But how many of us have said, I can do it myself, only to then find ourselves in a mess? How many of us have said, I can do it myself, only to realize it sure would have been nice to have had a community wrapped around me when things started to fall apart? I want to invite us to hold on to this thought and this question, because um, I I think we're going to see something that informs our human condition in the Gospel of Matthew today. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1, it says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. 
Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Many know this story as the temptation of, of Jesus. But I wonder sometimes if, if when we hear the word temptation or put that label, the temptation of Jesus, if, if the image that comes to mind for a lot of us when we think of temptation is like, all right, I'm just going to use my own, the donut that is sitting on that shelf that we know we really don't need and probably shouldn't eat, but we're tempted to go after anyway. Or I think when we think of temptation, we often think of the, the drink or the, or the drug for an addict that tempts them. Or maybe when we think of temptation, we think of the, the lure to do something wrong, something we know we shouldn't do. Temptation. And all these, all these are true examples of temptation. But this story in Matthew's gospel, when we think about the temptation of Jesus, it has something to teach us about temptation that's, that's deeper than kind of these surface presentations of temptation. To begin to see and understand, we're going to really dive into this story today. And when we do that, it's really helpful if we're trying to think, like, what is this, how does this story speak to us today. You've heard me say this before. I think context becomes really important. So if we, one of the questions we can ask is, like, what comes right before this story? Well, in this case, the temptation of Jesus, what comes just before it is the baptism of Jesus at the Jordan River. And actually, if, if we look just before that, it's, it's uh, Herod killing the babies and, and Jesus having to flee with his, his family to save him. So there's that context, but then there's the, the context in the whole of the Bible as well. And Matthew, as Matthew was writing Matthew's gospel, Matthew refers back a lot to the Old Testament. So we might want to ask, like, what, what is in the Old Testament that might help us understand this story? And even more specifically, Matthew, scholars believe, was writing to a Jewish audience. So he, he, we have to believe he was writing to people. He was trying to tell the, these, these Jewish people in his community about Jesus and who Jesus was. And he included these stories and he included these references to the Old Testament. And so we have to imagine that his audience knew the Old Testament. So let's go back to the Old Testament for a moment to, to sort of set up how we might think about the baptism of Jesus' story. Um, I want to invite you just to, to think for a moment, and this teaching isn't, isn't, uh, uh, doesn't come from me. It's from Marty Solomon, who uh, has a podcast I've sometimes referenced before called Bema. And, uh, and it just an invitation, in the Old Testament, I want you to think about stories that happen around water. All right, we're going to put the temptation story with the baptism story. We're going to put those together in Matthew's gospel. And to understand how that one begins, we're going to look at Old Testament stories around bodies of water. Can you think of stories that, that have bodies of water that deal with water? Noah's Ark is actually one that often comes to mind, right? But we're going to go back even further. We're going to go back to the creation story for a moment. And just a, a brush up or, a, or an explanation of the creation story for those that, that don't necessarily know it well, just a, a summary of it. In the beginning was chaos, what the story says, right? In the beginning, it's just chaos. It's this sort of watery chaos. It, it describes the, the waters. 
And then the story says that God's spirit, in Hebrew it's ruach, the ruach hovered over the waters. And there begins to, to become as God speaks over creation. It begins and, and order begins to form and, and the waters are separated from, from the land and, and creation happens. Order comes. Then, if we keep reading in the creation stories, we know that God creates human beings and he creates Adam and Eve. And then Adam and Eve are tempted. Right? God provides for Adam and Eve everything they need, anything they would ever need, this beautiful garden. And yet there's a, there's a tree in the garden and, and God has ordered it all and, and God informs Adam and Eve about this order and just says, there's one thing you can't do. You can't eat of the, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You, you, you shouldn't eat those, eat that fruit. But then a, a serpent comes and it tempts Adam and Eve. And it says, you know what? That's God's story, but, but you can write your own story. You can go it alone. Just, just take an apple from that tree and then you'll be like God. You do it yourself. And Adam and Eve, they give in to that temptation. And then they suffer banishment from the, from the garden. And then they suffer the strife between their sons. Tragedy happens. This is the, the path through the creation stories. Now, if we take this path, we might then look at some of the other Old Testament stories. And I, we're not going to do Noah's Ark today, but take this, you can take this model and you can look at Noah's Ark story. It can be like fun homework. Or if you don't want to think of it as homework, think of it as continued learning uh, to take home and, uh, uh, and apply this. But we're, we are going to look at one more story. We're going to look at Moses when he comes with the people of Israel to the Red Sea. In the, in the book of Exodus, the story of Exodus, right? The Israelites, they have, they have fled everything that they know, and it's chaos, right? They are, they're just fleeing. They don't know where they're going. They're just trying to get away. The Egyptians are, are chasing them, and they come to the, to the Red Sea, the body of water. So we have chaos. We have arrival at water. And then Moses lifts his staff, and Scripture says the ruach, Winds blow over the water, and the sea is parted, and the path, God's path forward, emerges in the water, and the Israelites cross over, and it allows them to leave the Egyptians behind. And then the Exodus story continues, and God speaks to Moses, and through Moses to the people, and he provides order, he provides the law, a way to, to live now as the, as the people of God to experience God's goodness. But then Moses, he goes up on a mountain, and the people are left to decide, are we going to trust this story of God? Are we going to trust God's law? Or are we going to just kind of go back to the way we were doing it before, and, and the, the gods that, that seemed to be kind of fun, because um, they had great parties, all right, that's a, a Brian's summary of the golden calf moment, uh, right? And so they, they, they go back and they craft a golden calf and they worship it. And what happens? The community experiences this deep distress and God is upset and Moses is upset and the people find out that they are not going to be able to enter the promised land in their generation. Again, tragedy. 
If you continue to explore these water stories in the Old Testament, um, you'll see again and again there's another as they're crossing the Jordan River. This, this pattern appears again. So now we're going we're to take that pattern and we come back to Matthew, right? Matthew is, is, is deep in the Old Testament. He understands the Old Testament. So what happens if we look at Jesus' story with this pattern? Well, we see that as Matthew even starts Jesus' story, Herod wants to kill all the, all the two-year-old children, Joseph and the family. They have to flee. We see this, this chaos ensuing in the Roman Empire. And then the next story that Matthew tells is Jesus coming to the water, to the Jordan River. And then the Holy Spirit, when Jesus comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit, this time pneuma in Greek, which is the equivalent, if you were going to translate that into Hebrew, you'd use ruach, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove upon Jesus. And God speaks and says, identifies Jesus as my son, as the, as the Messiah, as the one who will come and bring order. So, so God provides the, the path forward again. And then in the pattern of these stories, Jesus immediately is led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to face temptation. However, here, in this story, something changes because of Jesus, right? In the, in the Old Testament, God speaks and order comes, but again and again and again, humanity, when invited whether to accept that order and, and live and trust God and trust God's story to, to, to be revealed to them again and again, they, they want to write the story themselves. Humanity fails to trust God's story, chooses to try and go it alone without God, turns to other gods, and those, those choices always result in broken community and tragedy. When Jesus faces those same temptations, something different happens. Jesus goes back to the words that God had spoken. Some of the words that God had spoken to those very same people who made the decision to turn away from God. And he internalizes those words and he speaks them in those moments of, in those moments of temptation. And it allows him to say to Satan, no, God has a different plan, a different story. And I'm going to trust God's story. And now instead of tragedy at the end of that pattern, Jesus shows a way, Jesus shows a way to emerge from that pattern with Satan walking away and the angels tending to us. A way to end that pattern with trust in God and God's story. The story raises this question for us. Right, Jesus is the, this model for us, this teacher for us. Will we, like Jesus, choose to trust God and to trust God's story? In the moments of temptation, will we trust that God is at work, even if we can't see it? We're tempted every single day, and not just by donuts, 
right? We are, we are tempted to think that we don't need God or the, or the church or others, and we can go it alone. And you know, and just pause on this temptation for a moment. There's always this moment, occasionally we'll have funerals here at Clay Church for families that don't have a church connection. Um, or, or sometimes I'll do one at a funeral home and for, for a family that doesn't have a church connection. And, and often those families have chosen for whatever reason to, to think they don't need a church family and a church home. And yet it's not true, right? In the moment of that grief and that, and that struggle, when they need somewhere to turn to find a way forward, do you know where they turn? They turn to God and to the church family that they thought maybe they didn't need. And, it, and it's a blessing that some have not turned to that temptation because we can be there for them. There are other ways we're tempted. We're, we're tempted to think that if we just succeed enough or if we just earn enough or we just find the, the right job, we just gain enough influence or prominence, if we just achieve enough, then, then we'll, we'll then have the life that we hope for, will then be fulfilled. We're tempted to think that everyone else in life has it figured out, and we don't, and to think that maybe we're not doing enough to earn our place in the kingdom of God. I know people who, um, who, will, who will share with me as a pastor, they'll say, I, 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 I know that I probably should come to church, but I just sit there and I look around and I see all these faithful people, and I'm not that and I want to say to them, you know, come and ask the people if they're faithful, and they'll all tell you, no, not so much. We all make mistakes. We're all sinners. I would need all of you to be sure that you are, can be honest with them, right, and say, yeah, we sin too. We're all tempted sometimes to think that the world revolves around us, around our needs, around the chaos of our family, around our feelings, We're tempted sometimes to fill the voids that we feel in our lives with things other than God, that things the world promises will bring happiness and joy. And I think we're tempted sometimes to think that if, if things don't get better, if the, if the suffering doesn't end, if the way we want things to look doesn't happen, then, then I think we're tempted to think maybe God isn't with us. Temptations are a part of life, a part of human life. And sometimes I think we're attuned to think, oh, I just need to avoid the temptations and then I won't give in to them. And, and there is some research that says if the donut isn't on the counter, you won't eat it. But, but it's deeper than that. I think Jesus invites us to realize that even in the midst of temptation, we have the example, the means, the strength in our faith to not give in to those temptations. The question, I think, isn't how to avoid temptation because we all face temptation. The question is how will we respond? And the deeper question is, in those moments, will we trust God enough to give our full lives to God? Will we trust God enough to know that even if we can't see where this is going, God's got it? Will we trust God enough to give God our whole lives in each moment? 
And we're empowered to do that because Jesus faced temptations in a human being and showed us, and showed us how. Just like us, Jesus was tempted to give up on God's story. And, and I don't know about you, but I, don't, I wouldn't want to face the temptations that Jesus faced at the level that, that Jesus faced them. Right? Because they don't end with these, these three temptations, right? There's, there's the temptation about the bread to, to provide for himself. It's like you, the devil says, you can go it alone. You've got the power to go it alone. Why don't you just go alone? You, you don't need God. And then, then the devil says, you know what? I don't know. If, why don't you prove God is there? Why don't you prove how much power you've got with, with God there? Why don't you, you jump off and, and show everybody how God will, will catch you? Why don't you test God? And then, then the tempter says, you know what, Jesus, why don't you pursue worldly power? You can have it all. If you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll, I'll give you everything. But then the temptation continues. Jesus' own followers are going to say, do you know what, we have this idea of who you can be as the Messiah. Why don't you live into that and, and we will, you know, you've got the power to do this. Jesus' own, own friends tempt him to leave the path that God has set for him. And then at the end, as Jesus is facing death on the cross, he's tempted one more time. Say, you could give all this up. You don't, have to, you don't have to do this. You don't have to trust God and trust God's story. But Jesus shows us that the way to life, the way to resurrection, the way to eternal goodness is to trust God and God's story. And then to let God's word be our guide. I don't know if I've shared this story before. In the first church where I served, there was a younger couple that were uh, trying to have children. And I don't remember the exact details. I know they had miscarried once or twice. And then, um, and then she carried to full term, but, uh, but they had a stillborn. I, I just remember the heartbreak through our community. You know, how, how do you ever begin to understand that kind of grief? Cheryl and I had had a, a miscarriage. Cheryl had a miscarriage between, um, between Noah and Ella. And so it's some sense of how hard it is to grieve a miscarriage. And it's, it's just an odd grief, um, one the community doesn't understand, one that often sits under the surface. But add to that the experience they had gone through. And I, I just I couldn't imagine the pain this couple felt. And I think back now, and I think, I can't imagine the temptations that this couple felt, right? The temptation to just to give up on God and God's plan and, and God's story to decide, you know what, in all this, maybe God isn't with us. Or the temptation that I'm sure they, they felt to try and, and fill that void, that, that empty space with the things that this world says might, might help which we know is temporary, but so many, so many couples have such a difficult time because of the temptations that happen and the, and, the, and the depth of that hurt. Instead, as this couple grieved, they turned to God to fill that void. They started a group at the church. They met with a pastor, and they, they started a group at the church for those who had miscarried or those who had, who had lost babies. And they 
read the Psalms together, and they, they found resources to, to, to pray together, and they turned to God to fill that, that empty space and that gap. They turned to God to, to trust that while this was not the story they imagined, this was not the story that they wanted, they, they turned and, and imagined that God could still work in their story, that God was still at work in their story if they would, would follow where, where God led. They worked with this group to, to raise some funds, and they built a garden at the, at the church, a, a memory garden where, where those who'd lost children could, could come for, for prayer and, and support I just, I just say this again because this wasn't the story they were writing. It's not the story they wanted. But they did give up on God at work in their story. They didn't lose trust in God's story. In their faith, they became a beacon of hope to others around them. Some of their group went on to have children and they shared in those joys Everybody had a place to come to know that, that God's love would hold them even in the most difficult times of life. Will we trust in God's story? Because God is at work. Next Sunday, we have this celebration Sunday. And, and as I've been thinking about this invitation, like what, what, are we, what are we inviting people to do next Sunday? To remember their baptism, yes. To, uh, to, to maybe be immersed or, or to be baptized, yes. But it, it's bigger than that. The invitation for next Sunday is to say, do you know what? I want to trust God's story. And I'm going I'm to give God my whole self and commit to knowing this love in Jesus and this Holy Spirit at work within me. In Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, there's, there's this really the core command, Jesus will repeat it later, about, about what it means to be of the people of God, and it's hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And if you look at the temptations that Jesus faced, it was, it was, they were temptations to, to give, give the heart to something else and to give the soul to something else and to give the strength to someone else as opposed to anchoring all of those in the love of God. I'm just going to guess that there are people here right now because I've been there. There are people here right now who just, who are just in a place where maybe you're ready to give up on God or, or maybe you're ready to give up on the church and you just, you need to hear the promise again that God is in this and God is with us and that God is at work. And I know there, there's some among us who are in a place in life right now where you, you're just trying to fill the empty places and, and you've tried to fill it with worldly things and nothing, nothing is bringing the joy that you want. Nothing is bringing the, the fulfillment in life that you're, you're seeking. This is my prayer for us. My prayer for us is that 
that this next week at Clay Church could be like this, this breakthrough moment. And I, I'm going to pray all week that, that the Spirit might just break through and break in. I said in the first service, this is not in my script, I said in the first service that, um, that you know, that living here in South Bend now for nine years, you, you, you understand that in the winter there can just be permacloud, Right? They're, they're just these weeks that we go without seeing the sun. It just clouds up and it stays that way, right? And, and what it does is it makes us so appreciative of the moments when the cloud, that sun just breaks through, like maybe at the end of the day, it just, it just breaks through for 10 minutes. You're like, yes, you're still up there, right? This is, this is my prayer for us. So I said that in the first service and then we walked out to sunshine and I'm like, that is the Holy Spirit at work because Brian's weather prayers are awful. But this, this is my prayer for us, that, that wherever you find yourself in life, that, that next week, that we would come together and we would just celebrate that God is here and God is at work. And if we're struggling, that we'd find hope in that moment. And if we are not sure that God's going to show up, that we come next week expecting God to show up in this place. And my, my prayer is that, that several people at each service will say, Do you know what? I want this experience so fully. I want to know so fully that the Spirit is at work in me, that I'm going to do the immersion experience um, I'm going to remember my baptism, or if you haven't been baptized, I'm going to be baptized, and I'm going to go all the way under the water and come up like Jesus did, and just imagine the Holy Spirit filling me up. And, and my prayer is that, that more than 100 people next week will say, I am ready. I, I just, right now in my life, I want to recommit my life to Jesus, to live and love Jesus with my heart and my soul and my mind, and to live in that and know that the Spirit is at work in me, and I'm going to come and remember my baptism. And you can, you can sign up to do that. There's going to be an email coming out that tells you how to, how to do that. But my prayer is that, that the Spirit is just going to break through and move us and assure us and help us to live into God's story in powerful ways. Would you pray with me, God? Holy God, it is so easy to just like get caught in the functions of life and the day-to-day -day and the habits and, and lose sight that you're there. And it's so easy to see the clouds and the, the difficulty and the suffering and go, where are you? And it's so easy to, to hear these voices in the world that says, this will make it better, or this will make it better, or this will make it better. And, and to try those things and find temporary and temporary fulfillment. But God, we gather here because we, we know that that doesn't last. And so I just pray that you'll, you'll help us in this week ahead to hear an invitation, to, to hear an invitation to, to remember, to remember that in our baptisms for those of us that were baptized, that water cleansed us of sin and that the Holy Spirit descended upon us and, and filled us and, and that your promise is that we can walk each and every day knowing the power of the Spirit in our lives and finding fulfillment in the love that you offer. And for those of us that, that haven't been baptized, that that invitation is, is always there. God, help us to, to face the ugliness of life with hope in you. Help us to 
to put aside all those voices that say they'll fulfill us and focus ourselves on you. And help us, Lord, like that couple when things are at their darkest. To trust that even there, in Jesus Christ, you understand and you know and you're present and you're offering the promise, not that everything will be okay in the moment, but the promise of life and the promise of resurrection. May we walk with that promise and that power and that glory in each and every step we take. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.